If you guys want to open your Bibles to Mark 16, that's where we'll start this morning. <clears throat> and we're going to bounce around quite a bit, not too much, but it'll be in the New Testament primarily. Um, so I'll try to give you some time to turn when I mention a scripture. This is the final lesson in a series um, that I've been giving on what we commonly term, or, or maybe you've heard, as the five steps to salvation. Um, so we'll be talking about the fifth step. Um, the first four were here, believe, repent, confess, and we've talked about those things. So today we're going to be talking about being baptized. Um, there's a lot of controversy, I think, different shades of controversy, too, around the idea of baptism. Um, you could probably go out on the street and talk to any number of people and say five to ten different people, and you may get five to ten different ideas of what baptism is. Uh, for some people, it's not even a physical reality. Uh, some people, it's not something you control. It happens to you. For some people, um, it is only a physical thing, and there's nothing spiritual whatsoever involved in baptism. Uh, we're not going to address every single controversy and misconception there is about baptism this morning. Um, the, the approach I've been taking with these five steps to salvation is the same approach I'm going to take this morning, which is, one, to warn you that... Salvation is not a formula that you keep. Uh, and sometimes we can fall into that idea when we sort of repeat five steps to salvation, five steps to salvation. You know, it's, it's a recipe. If I can get someone to do this recipe, then that's good. I'm just going to leave them alone and go on to the next person and use the recipe on them. That is not salvation. Salvation is a relationship with God. And there are different steps to that relationship with God. And that's why we fall into using things like formulas. So I will say that the five steps we've talked about, I believe, are necessary steps to take to be saved. Um, so that's why I wanted to address this. Um, there's nothing wrong with telling someone there are five steps to salvation. The Bible bears that out. That's one of the reasons I wanted to put this lesson together is to show that there are scriptural reasons behind each of these steps. Hearing, believing, confessing, repenting, and being baptized. I think the scripture bears those things out. You must do those things. But those things are involved in a heart that wants a relationship with God. Those things in and of themselves, if there's no heart behind them, those things do nothing for, for anyone. Uh, we have to understand that we're sinners and that God is the only way, or God has provided the only way for us to have a relationship with Him. As Robin said, we can't dig ourselves out of the hole we dug. We can't, we can't lift ourselves up out of this. So, as I mentioned, we talked about the first four. We're going to talk about the final step. Um, and again, I'm going to take the same approach. We're just going to talk about what baptism is. We're not going to discuss all the ways and things that it is not. We're going to talk about why is it even in the list, right? Is there scriptural basis for saying it's necessary for salvation. And then I hope to spend uh, kind of the, the majority of the time, in my mind, the most important part of the lesson on 
what does it mean for us now? Um, whether you've been baptized or whether you haven't been baptized, it means something for you now. It has an importance for you now, I believe. The scriptures bear that out. Uh, so we'll talk about first what it is. Uh, and I hope you've opened to Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. You know, why is it in the list? Um, we're going to go through these very quickly. You know, why, why, why do we talk about baptism as being part of salvation? Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. Jesus is giving the Great Commission, as we term it, to his disciples who he's leaving behind as he's going to ascend into heaven, what he wants them to do. And he says in verse, beginning in verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Um, I'm not going to go over all the controversies surrounding this verse either. I'm just going to let it speak what it speaks. If I want to be saved, Jesus says, I have to believe and be baptized. If I don't believe, I can't be saved. If I'm not baptized, I can't be saved. He says both. Uh, if you want to flip over to Acts chapter 2, another passage that I believe gives support for why baptism is necessary for salvation was not just what Jesus said before he left the earth, but what someone he left behind said to those who needed to hear it and needed, to, needed that salvation. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gives, uh, or at least we have Peter's sermon recorded for us to the Jews in Jerusalem about what had happened and who the Messiah was. He tells them about Jesus and he tells them that he's been raised, tells them his position. And then, of course, the natural question is, well, then what do we do? You're, te you're, you're telling us we've killed the Messiah that we've been waiting for, that our nation's been waiting for since we became a nation, and you're telling us we killed him. So now, what do we do? And Peter's response is in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now we talked about what repentance was last time, so I'm not going to cover that again here. But we have Jesus saying, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. We have Peter telling men who believe that they need to repent and be baptized to be saved. So apparently, repentance alone wasn't enough. And baptism alone wasn't enough. You needed to be, repent and be baptized. Uh, one more passage for support of why baptism uh, is part of the list, so to speak, why it's necessary for salvation is Acts 22 and verse 16. We have the Apostle Paul here recounting his own conversion when he was in Damascus and blind and how Ananias had come to him. And in Paul's words in Acts chapter 22, he, he says, this is what Ananias told me to do. Verse 16, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Um, Ananias' instructions came from God. Ananias isn't telling him his opinion. Ananias didn't want anything to do with this man. But God said, you need to go to him. He's an instrument of mine. 
And so Ananias tells him what he was told. Rise, get up, and let's go be baptized and wash away your sins. So I think there's plenty of evidence for why baptism is part of these five steps, as we term them. But not just part of five steps. Why we would even tell anyone that baptism is important. Why you need to think about it, why you need to consider it. Because in these three, and there are plenty more examples in the New Testament, but in these three passages, people who needed salvation were told baptism is what you need, in addition to other things. It's not the only thing. So what is baptism? Let's turn over to Romans chapter 6. And so you tell me, okay, I need to repent and be baptized, or I need to believe and be baptized, but you know, what is that? Is that taking a shower? Is that being sprinkled? Is that having water poured on my head? Is it even any physical act? Um, what is it? Well, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is addressing a larger topic, and, and we'll come back to Romans 6 a little bit later. But if you look in verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us what it what it symbolizes, what it represents. Okay? Romans 6, beginning in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a burial. Um, Paul states pretty clearly here, we were buried by baptism. There's no other way to receive that burial. That's the mechanism by which we're buried with Christ. Now, there's nothing magical about water. There's nothing special about where the water's located. If it's running water, if it's still water, if it's dirty water, if it's clean water, the power is in the obedience and the faith behind the act. Paul is not here saying that that someone who's ignorant of the gospel and gets dunked in water has something special happen to them because of the water. Paul's saying there's an understanding that goes into this that you have to understand Jesus died and was buried. Otherwise, you don't understand the baptism. If you want to be connected with Jesus' burial, then the baptism is the only way to connect with that. If you want to be connected with Jesus' resurrection, according to this, verse 4, the only way to be connected with that is to be brought up out of baptism. That's what it says. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So yes, it is a symbol. Absolutely, baptism is a symbol. But apparently it's a powerful symbol. What does that mean? I mean, what I mean by that is not that it's impactful to me, personally or emotionally, powerful symbol. I mean, it's a symbol that actually has power associated with it, that it accomplishes something. And not because I'm working, but because God is working, right? Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. It's Him working. So baptism is a burial in water that represents the burial Jesus experienced. You know, that seems very simple. Um, and I'm trying to present it simply because I really don't think it's a complicated idea. 
but there are, for some reason, many complicated ideas out there about what baptism is, what it does or doesn't accomplish. And I honestly, uh, I can't tell you why those ideas are out there. It would be conjecture for me to say what the motivations are, um, why, why there are so many different teachings about it, why there are so many... Why there's so much resistance to the idea, even. Um, I, I honestly, sincerely can't understand it. Um, so I'm presenting it here as simply as I can. Um, you know, burial is not um, throwing dirt on somebody's head. That person's not buried. I mean, we understand that. Um, it's not, you know, taking a, a coffin and pouring a jar of dirt on the coffin. Uh, that's not burial. I mean, we know what burial is. Burial is you dig a hole in the ground, and whether it's a person or if it's something, a treasure, you know, to bury it is to put it under the ground and cover it over with the ground, and it's hidden. It's no longer above ground, it's below the ground. Um, baptism is a burial, and there's only one way to accomplish that, water and that is to put a person under the surface of the water completely. You don't have to dig a hole in water. I'm not telling you to do that. You're going to fail every time. <laughs> okay? But you do have to be under the surface. That's what burial is. And I'm, I'm really not trying to be facetious or sarcastic in saying this. I'm, I'm really trying to be as simple as I can in using the scriptural definition of what baptism is. Um, so it's a burial. Now, this is the part that I wanted to get to, is what does baptism actually accomplish? And this is where I think there are the most dangerous ideas in the world surround baptism here, um, is that uh, many times the power is taken out of baptism. The teeth are taken out of it. The, God's working is taken out of it. Um, and again, I, I, can't, I can't really explain... Uh, what that reason is. So I want to go back to Romans 6, and I want to look more deeply at Romans 6. As I said, Paul is addressing a larger idea here. He's not, he's not writing to the Romans trying to help them understand what baptism is and all the implications of it. What, what he's you know, really trying to get them to understand is that they need to live a life that's not a sinful life. Um, if you look in verse 1, that, that's, that's where this where we, we are kind of jumping into this discussion in Romans 6.1, he says, what shall we say then? Right? He's just gone through this description of the wonderful grace that we have in Christ. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Well, that's a logical conclusion, honestly. And I think that's why he's addressing it. If the grace of God is so great that any sin I commit is covered then it only makes sense for me to sin more so that His grace abounds more. Because God loves to give grace. And Paul is saying here, right, verse 2, absolutely not. May it never be. Right? And he doesn't chide them, but he's pretty strong about it. He says, no. Right? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And this is, this is what I want to get to when I talk about what is accomplished in baptism. Again, it's not something magical. There's a decision that takes place in our heart, I believe. A decision has to take place within us for that baptism to be effectual. 
or effective. Right? So let's go ahead and read here a few more of these verses. May it never be, verse 2, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. You know, that that question that uh, Paul anticipates the Romans having about, well, let's just sin more. I mean, we kind of enjoy sin, you know, so, why don't we just do that more, and then we have the added benefit that God's grace just covers it, so we get the best of both worlds, right? Paul is saying, no. When you were baptized, right, the reason for that baptism was that you were burying somebody who was dead. You, you made a decision that a life of sin is not a life you wanted to pursue, and so you crucified that old man, and when you crucify somebody, it's time to bury them. Right? He says that's what happens at that baptism. So you don't rise from baptism having buried somebody who's dead, and you rise a new creature and then go back to doing what the dead man did. I mean, that's the point Paul's making. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to establish some kind of mystical event here. I'm... I'm just reading Romans 6, really. And that's where I think the idea of the importance of baptism for those who are, are already Christians starts to carry some weight. Because what he's saying is, you need to remember that baptism to remember that somebody was buried and that that somebody needs to stay dead. And that you don't need to become that dead person anymore. Right? You're a new person. You know, let, let's keep reading here. I, I like what he goes on to say here in Romans 6. In verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, right? The therefore, there's your conclusion. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I mean, I often go to Romans 6 to, to try to understand and describe to people what baptism is, but I miss this a lot of the time, is that what Paul is really saying here is that your baptism should help you define the rest of your life going forward. 
Who are you, who are you presenting your body as an instrument to? I mean, in, in this country or maybe in this society, maybe it's all Western society, I don't know. We, do, we, we recoil at the idea of being an instrument of anybody else. I'm my own man. I act on my own volition, and nobody tells me what to do. That's a lie. That is an absolute 100% falsehood. What is Paul saying here? You always present yourself to someone as an instrument. You are either presenting yourself to God or you're presenting yourself to sin. There's not another option. Now, sometimes the sin makes us feel like we're the ones in control. Right? That's the lie. No, I'm not presenting myself to sin. I'm doing what I want to do. Well, why do you want to do that? Because your flesh is telling you to. Right? We don't like that idea. Because it's, it's humbling is why we, really why we don't like it. It's humbling to think that we are an instrument of something. Whether we like it or not, we're an instrument of something. And Paul is using baptism here to say, use that as a foundation to know who you are presenting yourself to. You died, right, to sin. Sin's not your master anymore. He wants to be. He's going to come back on your door and he's going to, he's going to tell you he's your master. But, but that man who was, who was a slave sin, he's dead. And you can tell sin that when he comes knocking. No, I buried that man. He's not alive anymore. But the danger is, the danger that Paul saw in the Romans, the sin is enticing. He makes all kinds of promises. And so you want to submit to him. So, baptism, I think, has sort of has two roles. There's, there's no denying that baptism is an event. I mean, it is an event. I, I don't get baptized once a week. I, I don't get baptized every time I sin. I don't, you know, it's something that I've done once and the scriptures bear that out. But according to Romans 6, what I see is it's something that should be on our minds. It, not, not, not as something like a weight, but as an aid. Right? When we face temptation, think about your baptism. Not the actual details around the event. The water was cold. You know, I didn't have a towel. You know, I mean, not that stuff. But why you did it. Right? Why was I baptized? Well, because I, I was burying a dead person. That dead person would give in to this temptation. Guaranteed. Because that dead person wants what that temptation has to offer. I'm not that person. That's not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that that's an easy thing. But I think Paul's using that here to say that that's an aid you can use. Just to look back at baptism. So I said it's an event. What is the event, right? The event is a burial, right? You don't, we don't, when someone passes away, we don't bury someone multiple times, right? Burial is a one-time event. The resurrection is the event, right? We talked about that. The glory of God, right? Acts in that resurrection. Um, and that, actually, I wanted to point that out. 
look, if, if you look in verse 4 of, of Romans 6 again. The power that's acting, right, is the glory of the Father. It's the same glory of the Father that raised Jesus from the dead. You see in verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. In the baptism, into death. So that as, that's an important word, like, similar to, in the same way that Christ was raised. Now, do you think that was a powerful event? I think that was a very powerful event. As he was raised in that tomb and walked out, so we too might walk in newness of life. The same glory of the Father that acted in that resurrection acts in the resurrection from baptism. I think that's what Paul is teaching plainly here. That is a very powerful thing. And if you have any questions about it, that's why I had James read a lot of the context around Colossians 2. Let's turn over to Colossians 2 and look at the verse I'm referring to. We won't read the entire passage again. But I expanded the context to go verses 8 through 15 because... Again, Paul's not writing here to try to explain to the church in Colossae what baptism is. There's a larger context. But let's, let's look in verse 11 of Colossians 2. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in what? Faith in the water? No. Faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I think we have two separate occasions where Paul is trying to explain to Christians who have already been baptized. I mean, that's why they're, I mean, they're Christians, right? They've gone through this. I think he's trying to give them some more detail about what, looking back on their baptism, what really happened there was important. And it was powerful. That was similar and in like manner to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, I don't think he's saying everyone's got to understand that when they get baptized, right? There's, there's much less that's necessary for understanding for baptism But this is encouraging for Christians who can look back on their baptism and say, wow, God was doing that. Right? That's pretty impressive. So yes, it was an event. You know, but what about the future? Um, And we talked about that already. The newness of life that we're raised to is not a life given over to sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. But it's still our decision. That's why Paul is addressing it. We have to understand that that person who was a slave is dead and buried. Um, Our baptism needs to remind us that we are walking in a new life than we were before. And that we're serving a different master than we were before. And that the old master is going to try to revisit us constantly. Dressed differently talking differently and we're we're not always going to recognize him but what we can recognize is is this that I'm facing 
the master who raised me from the dead. That's the one way to tell. I don't have to recognize every way sin's going to come to me, but I can say, is that God? And if that's not, well then, I know that's not my master. That's what our, resu- our, our, our baptism needs to remind us of if we're Christians. Um, you know, if, for, for someone who hasn't been baptized, it's, it's still important to understand things about the event and the future, right? The event itself is necessary. For someone who has not been baptized, that needs to be taught. That needs to be explained why it's necessary. Not because I do think it's necessary. That's not important. If I can turn to Scripture and see that it's necessary, then that's important. Um, someone who hasn't been baptized needs to understand that baptism is the event at which we're forgiven of those past sins. That's what Acts 2.38 states pretty clearly. That they were being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Um, you know, I can believe and I can repent. I've, I've met, I have many friends that I believe have repented of many things, and sometimes they do a better job of repenting than I do. Uh, and they refuse baptism. They live a different life, but they don't want to deal with their past sins. They just sort of forget them. Well, God says those past sins have got to be dealt with. And that happens at baptism. Um, it's the event at which the old man is buried, we talked about. And it's the basis. You know, someone who has not been baptized needs to understand that. There's a cost to living as a Christian. You know, go to Luke 14. Jesus is pretty crystal clear. You're going to have to give up some things. And it may come down to giving up family. But that baptism serves as a foundation and a basis for saying, I'm going to walk in a new life because God's given it to me. And I'm not going to turn that thing down. So I hope that this lesson has served a couple purposes. Um, I hope it's been helpful just factually to understand how to teach people about salvation um, and that baptism is, is needed for that. But also for Christians to understand that when thinking back on our baptism and our decision to be buried with Christ can serve as an encouragement and a reminder for how we're supposed to walk each day and that the sin that we're tempted to give into really doesn't have any power over us anymore. Not just the consequences of committing sin, but that the sin itself, we don't have to give into that again. Um, His power has been usurped. So thank you for your time and attention. Uh, Appreciate it. We're going to sing a song now.